You're listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. With Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hey you. Sorry if I sound a little sleepy. It's because I'm recording this intro when I'm sleepy. <laughs> but welcome to this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. We are going to be talking all about rope and kink because Emily Bingham is here, who is a rope lover and kinkster out of Portland, Oregon. She just um, put out a book called Diary of a Rope Slut, which is full of these really, really erotic stories all about rope and kink and her journey into both. So before I jump into the interview with Emily, I want to remind you of two things. The first is your support on Patreon means so much to me. So many of you have been going and pledging a dollar or three dollars. A couple of you have been really generous and offered a little bit more, which is making my heart sing. So if you want to join their ranks, you can go to patreon.com slash sex gets real to see all of the options. I'm going to be revamping my thank you page very soon to make it much more prominent on the site. And don't forget, I'm also hosting those new bi-weekly calls. Every other week, I'm hopping on a live video call with everyone who has signed up for the Sex is a Social Skill group calls. Last time, we talked all about um, cherishing and what it feels like to be cherished, what it means to cherish others. Our next call is coming up super soon, and we're going to be talking about respect. What does self-respect mean? What does it mean to respect others in relationship? We've got a call coming up on anger, on pleasure, on all kinds of super fun stuff. And it's a chance for all of us to just like share and practice and talk about things where we don't usually have a space to talk about. So if you want to join in those, they're $13 a month, which means you're only paying $6.50 per call. 90 minutes of just like geeking out and learning and being in community. I would love to see you there. There is a link to those group calls in the show notes for this episode. And if you go to sexgetsreal.com slash EP170, since this is episode 170. So let's get on with the show. Emily Bingham is a writer, kinky educator, and consent activist. The only thing she loves more than words is rope. Her stories have appeared in a number of erotica anthologies, and most recently she published an erotic memoir, Diary of a Rope Slut. When she isn't writing, she's teaching folks how to have safe and sexy rope adventures in the bedroom. So we are going to talk about how she got into rope. We are going to talk about the book, which is very, very sexy. If you like kinky stuff and erotica, you're probably going to love the book. Then here is Emily and I talking about all the things. 
Welcome to Sex Gets Real, Emily. This promises to be a rope-tastic conversation, and I'm super excited to have you. I'm so glad to be here, too. Thanks for having me. So I found you through your book, Diary of a Rope Slut, and uh, it is a book that is full of stories all about you getting involved with rope and doing modeling and just fantastic adventures. Um, all of the, the hits and misses and big feelings that you had. And uh, we love talking about kink here on the show. I just want to kind of start with, for people who aren't familiar with you or for people who are kind of new to kinky conversations, like what do you think is kind of the, the short version of kind of how you found your way to rope? Uh, well, it's a kind of a funny story. I started out really early. I was one of those people who was into rope before I even knew about sex because I used to always want to be the bad guy when I was playing uh, games on the playground. I always wanted to get tied up with this little purple jump rope that I carried everywhere. So somehow kink had lodged itself into my brain really, really early on. So the desire to get tied up was always there. So I was really excited when I started exploring my sexuality in college with lovers to find out that people actually did this and they did it for sex and that it was fun. It was something that you could ask for. But I grew up in the Midwest, so it was hard to find people that wanted to do that. Eventually I moved to Portland, Oregon, and there is a huge rope scene here. So now I'm a big part of the rope scene and I get tied up all the time. So that's kind of the shortest version of my adventure into rope. <laughs> so I get lots of emails from people who are kink curious or who kind of have fantasies of things that are kinky, but they, they feel ashamed to bring it up or they're not sure where to get started. I get, I can't even tell you how many emails I get from people of like, am I the only one that feels this way about nuns or whatever, you know? So kind of this fear of like, there must be something wrong or I must be the only person who wants this thing. And I know you kind of grappled with that a little bit. What was it like for you to know you wanted to get tied up, but to not have yet found a rope community? Like, what was it like kind of navigating that weird, should I say something space? Yeah, it's real frustrating. And like, I think we're a little spoiled now in the age of the internet when you can Google, do people get tied up? And you can probably find out that you're not the only one. But even Googling it, you still feel alone because you're just in your bedroom trying to figure out how you're going to get these fantasies fulfilled. So yeah, it's a real weird space. And yeah, I grappled with it for like, probably five or six years. And it wasn't until that I moved somewhere where it was just an obvious thing where you could just look in the newspaper and people were talking about like, do you want to do rope modeling? Do you want to meet up? That I was like, oh, this isn't a thing that I have to be ashamed of. So even when I was reading it, yeah, I still felt the shame. So I, I understand. And I don't know what the answer is for everybody out there who can't find their community because I was kind of spoiled by coming somewhere where it happened really easily. But no, you're definitely not alone. And that was part of why I wanted to write the book to have that out there. So you could at least find that on the internet and be like, oh, this lady went through the same thing that I did. My husband read your book before I did. And it was really funny because there was a couple points when he was like, what are you doing? I want to read you this passage. And then he'd read me like a really hot passage from, from your book. Um, and 
you know, afterwards he kind of said, I think you're really going to like this. It's really hot and really interesting. And there's like lots of different dynamics and experiences that you had. And he was super right. And so for people who haven't read the book yet, it's basically your adventures of being in the Midwest and kind of being in different types of relationships and trying to kind of acknowledge the ropey side of yourself and then ultimately moving to Portland and having a chance to do lots of rope in lots of different situations, including lots of rope modeling. And so um, each chapter kind of focuses on a specific partner that you're playing with and what you learned in that moment. And I'd love to know, like, for you, what what is kind of your favorite story that you got to kind of reflect on and, and kind of suss out as you were writing the book? Um, I mean, the first one is always interesting to think about, like, the adventure of going on the shady internet in the late 90s and being... <laughs> in a chat room and trying to negotiate getting rope when I didn't even know how to talk about that. So that's a favorite. But I think uh, other than that one, uh, like going to the big kink conference here in Portland called Kinkfest, And like, I had just moved to Portland and I went to this big festival where there was like hundreds of people getting tied up. And I was part of this uh, art for the opening ceremonies and just like the shy girl being a piece of art in front of hundreds of people and then just getting dropped down into the sea of kinky people and trying to figure out how to negotiate rope and having all of my fantasies fulfilled so that one's fun too the <laughs> also there's a fucking machine that comes in so you know <laughs> that story Anytime a story involves a fucking machine, we're probably on the right track. Yeah, things get interesting <laughs> when you get machinery involved. That's right. <laughs> you know, I've been to like kinky conferences and uh, I got to see this uh, thing called Fistapalooza once with Dark Odyssey when like it was a room just full of people getting fisted. And that's so hot. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really hot. And um, and, you know, seeing all kinds of like rope stuff and just, you know, the whole gamut. But I have to tell you, every time I just like hear the word fucking machine, something in me is kind of like, ooh. <laughs> it's just it's so scandalous. Like, even though we talk about rope and fisting, it's like, oh, a fucking machine. Oh, golly. <laughs> right. What might happen now? <laughs> I loved that scene of you being part of the installation at Kinkfest and, you know, kind of being on display. And I thought one of the like beautiful things actually about you and your story is you're not an exhibitionist and yet you consistently find yourself in situations where you are certainly on display either, you know, as a model being photographed indoors or outdoors surrounded by other people who are also part of the shoot and, um, you know, being tied up at uh, dungeons and places like Kinkfest and like, how do you kind of navigate that as someone who's like, no, like, I'm not really getting off on this, but I'm definitely into like being in a rope. And if people happen to be around, like, so be it. Yeah, I do tend to get myself into a lot of trouble. And like, 
uh, I always joke that there's two parts of my personality. There's like the shy introverted me that sits home and writes and just wants to hang out with her dog and not see other people. But then there's this extroverted part of me who really gets off on doing all of this stuff. And there's the negotiation between the two sides of me. And also learning that in order to get rope, I've got to go talk to people. So I just kind of deal with the exhibitionist part and I've kind of learned to enjoy it over the years in order to get rope, I guess. Yeah. I love that. It's like, well, I guess if I'm going to get tied up, I have to go socialize. (laughs) I mean, I can tie myself up, but there's just something missing from that. You know, I can't be a hermit all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just so wonderful for people to hear, right? Of like, I remember the first time that I went to a dungeon. And I also remember the first time I went to a conference where kink was happening. And this feeling of like, everyone just seems so comfortable. And that's not me. You know, there's so many people who are just like naked or have very little clothing on. And there's people who are getting tied up and getting fucked. And like, it's just kind of out in the open. And I loved seeing the body diversity, all the different ages and sizes, because I'm in a fat body. And so, you know, that used to be a huge source of shame for me, but kind of also this feeling of like, wow, all of these people just must be so comfortable with themselves and so confident because they're just so like out there and naked and feeling kind of like maybe it's not for me because I'm not that comfortable. And I love that like you kind of gave yourself permission to go on that journey too of like, you know, I've never been naked in public or I've never been fucked in public. And then finding yourself in situations where like, okay, maybe I can do this or maybe I can try this or maybe I will go there today because it feels good. And, and like, I just think that's so important for people to hear of like, you don't have to just be naked all the time and exhibitionist to be in kink space or to go to dungeons and play parties. No, definitely not. Like, and I had the same experience, like all of these people are super confident. I don't belong here, but it's all just a lie. Like everyone's just as intimidated and scared. You just have to put yourself out there to enjoy it, I guess. And yeah, I, I love the same thing about the kinky community or like the sex positive community that you can go into a space and see bodies like yours or bodies that aren't represented in like mainstream culture. And you can see fat bodies and queer bodies and people doing all of these weird things that you thought only lived in your head, but there's people out there doing them and they look like you and they're having fun and you can talk to them and you can like play off their energy and learn how to be confident in the same way that they are. But yeah, we're all just pretending when we're playing in public. I guess that's what I would (laughs) want people who are uh, new to the scene to know. Like we're all just as scared and fucked up as you are. Just come talk to us after the scene is over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, something else that I've found to be true in, in my experience and certainly you can share yours is like, I am not super comfortable being naked in public yet. You know, I'm sure at some point that will probably be part of my story because I'm way more comfortable now than I was, you know, eight years ago. But um, it takes practice, like anything. Yeah, exactly. And like what I've also noticed is like once I kind of get into the moment or the scene, the insecurities kind of fall away. And like, For me, like, I love being flogged and my husband's really good with rope. And so he ties me up and, um, 
you know, like if I'm having a super insecure day, even if it's just the two of us in our bedroom and he starts tying me up and all I can think about is like how fat I feel and my tummy and ugh, he couldn't possibly find me sexy. But then like, as we move into, and like, I start feeling the rope or I start feeling the rhythm of the flogger, it's kind of like those voices start becoming very quiet and I can really just become embodied and be so present with like the sensation. It's hard to be thinking all these other things when like you're feeling this movement and this rope and this scratch or whatever it is. And it's almost this wonderful meditation of like, I, I might go in feeling really insecure and unattractive, but by the time I'm actually in it, like that's so not a part of the story anymore. And I kind of lose myself. Yeah, that's another thing that I love about kink as well. It's like people laugh at me, but it's like my form of meditation and I find it super healing to find someone that you trust and to do this scene and that like you go in feeling all weird and uncomfortable, but by the end of it, like you've gone into this headspace where the rest of the world doesn't exist and it all falls away and your body is perfect and you don't have a terrible day job and nothing went wrong that day. There's just like this super sexy thing that you're doing with your partner. And I love that about kink. And I don't think a lot of people who see it in like the mainstream is like the big evil Dom. That's the bad guy in like formulaic uh, cops and robbers shows. Like (laughs) the, the kinky people never get to be the good guys. We're seen as like these evil sadists, but I don't think people understand how healing and precious and beautiful kink can be. Yeah. I love that word healing. I think you're so right of like healing relationship with your body, with yourself, with, you know, the person that you're playing with, be it someone you've played with for years or even someone that you're new to playing with and just like having a chance to be super present with another human being. Like, I think for me, that's one of the things that kinky activities has always offered of unless you just really aren't connecting with that person and there's just something not right about what's happening, like, you know, which sometimes happens, but like when you want to be there and you're with someone who's showing up in the same way and you can both just kind of surrender to this thing that you're creating, you get so present and so just like, truly tuned in to this other person or these other people. And I, I, I think that there's not very many opportunities for us to really kind of get lost in another person that way in our day-to-day lives. So it's kind of nice to have this little, little space where we do these activities and then all of a sudden, like we're all feeling good. (laughs) Right. It's a super rare space that we don't allow ourselves very often. Like even in like regular so-called vanilla sex, like it's, it gets kind of, uh, you do it enough times and you forget to be present, but kink you've got to remember how to throw the flogger or how to do the cuff on the rope so you've got to be present because you've got to remember how to find these skills in your head and i like that about kinky sex like it it kind of forces you to be there with your partner there's a scene in the book and i'm probably going to get the specifics a little bit wrong where um you essentially got like vacuum packed inside of a bag yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I was like, oh, that sounds kind of terrifying, but kind of amazing all at the same time. Yeah, that was another kind of like the fucking machine. It's like people never see that. So it's one of those scenes that everyone kind of sticks to. And it was a really hard one to write about, too, because 
it was super sexy, but there's no way to write about like a latex bag and getting zipped into it and make that sound sexy. So that was one of the hardest things to write about. So for people who didn't read the book, I went to this strange house party that was happening in a basement, and there was different rooms where things were happening, like people were playing with a violet wand in one, and like people were doing rope in another, and so I hear from this other room all of these people squealing in a vacuum, so I had to go <laughs> investigate what was happening there. Uh, and so there was just a, a, it was a huge latex bed, like maybe you've seen people wearing latex costumes, like that super sexy latex, not like the white latex that's a condom. And so, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that could be sexy too, but it wasn't that kind of latex. Uh, (laughs) so people would just like crawl into the bed and they would zip it up and then they just had like a shop vac that they stuck onto the tube that was around the bed and it sucked all of the air out of it and then you were just like vacuum sealed in this bed and uh the latex is just touching every part of your body and holding you in and it was super erotic but also very very scary because you only have a breathing tube to connect you to the outside world I don't know. The first thing that comes up for me when I think about that is like, oh, fuck, claustrophobia. What if I freak out? Yeah. But then like behind that kind of comes this, I wonder if that just feels like all warm and swaddled and, you know, kind of like you're floating. I don't know. Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was both of those sensations at the same time. It was definitely one of those times where the introvert and the extrovert me had to like have this argument of like, well, I don't want to do that because claustrophobia and I might die in there. But extroverted me was like, when are you going to get this chance again? You should go try it. And that's usually when I get myself into the most trouble when I'm like, oh, well, I might as well try this for the first time and see if I like it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, once I got in there and I was zipped into it and I didn't have any other choice but to enjoy it or freak out, I decided to enjoy it. But yeah, the claustrophobia was real. Okay, so I'm so glad you talked about like getting yourself into trouble because I think one of the things that I really loved so much about your book and your stories and the way you shared yourself that would be so amazing for people that are new to kink to read is you had a series of near misses of things that could have gone horribly wrong and didn't... um, And things that were kind of like awkward and things you didn't know you were allowed to ask for and boundaries that you didn't know you were allowed to set for yourself. And you very much made it clear of how over the years you've kind of stumbled your way into realizing you deserved to set boundaries and to say no, that you were allowed to say yes to things that intrigued you to, um, to telling people that you didn't want to work with them or that you did and kind of taking that risk. And, and there's this kind of element of like stumbling your way towards consent and stumbling your way towards, I have worth and I am worthy and I deserve. And I think that's such an important thing, especially for newbies to kink to kind of understand and to read about and to learn of like, you're allowed to say no and you're allowed to say yes and and so I love so much that you kind of shared yourself in and the mistakes and the oops and the woo that that could have gone bad stories yeah like 
I definitely wanted to be very honest when I wrote this book because I feel like we don't get to read about or hear about people making mistakes. And I've definitely made a lot of mistakes, and some of them were my fault, and some of them were because I didn't have boundaries or I didn't have the words. And so, like, that's the thing that I, I want people to know when they get into kink, especially people who think they want to go towards the submissive side. Like, to learn boundaries and to learn that you can say yes or no, and that just because you're the bottom doesn't mean that you have to do whatever the top wants you to do. Like, that was something that I just thought, like, the top gets to do to whatever, and I got into a lot of situations that I wasn't fully comfortable with. And now looking back, I'm like, why was I putting up with that thing that I didn't like? I could have saved both of us a lot of time by just saying no, but it's so hard to say no especially as a feminine presenting person where we're taught to say yes and to smile and to take everything. So that was a definite journey and it is really important to learn consent. And I'm really glad that there's so many sex educators out there now and so many articles on the internet and books about consent coming out so that people can read about that and maybe not go through as many of the awkward and terrible situations that I got myself into where I was like, whoops, that could have went really bad. Yeah, there was this part of me as I was reading some of the stories, especially earlier in the book where I was like, oh, God, this could go so wrong. And then like, I'd turn the page and be like, "Woo, okay, she made it, you know? Obviously, you know, I made it because I wrote the book. But there are a few times when even I am writing it and I'm like, oh, why did I do this? Do I really want to tell people how stupid I was? But yes, I felt it was important to let people know what a what an idiot I was at one point. So that once again, kinksters that are coming into the scene knew know that they're not alone. People make mistakes. It's okay. I just think it's so important to like stress over and over again that like if you are interested in submission or bottoming, and if you were socialized female and or are just kind of femme and presenting that way there's kind of this like cultural expectation that that means you'll just let people do things to you or that um, you have to let your dom do or your top do whatever they want once the scene starts and we know that's such a damaging and, and dangerous narrative that's not at all true but I want like more people to understand that as the submissive or as the bottom, you have equal negotiation power. And you made that so clear in your book because it was you kind of stumbling your way towards that realization and allowing us to see like you didn't just know that, you actually had to learn that and kind of arrive there. And so giving all of us the opportunity to read that and arrive there a little bit sooner because of you sharing your stories is a beautiful thing. Right. And I actually made a discovery after going to some submissive only groups here in Portland and talking to all of these strong, fierce women and that are like to give up their control and be controlled in the bedroom. It's that, uh, you know, tops don't want me to tell you this, but, uh, the bottom is actually the one that's in control of the whole scene because they get to be the one that says no or stop or do their safe word. So like learning that thing and integrating it into my mind while I play, like that was super empowering. Like, yes, I'm going to let someone hang me upside down and flog me until I cry, but I'm in control this whole time. I get to stop this. 
and just remembering that has been super empowering and i like to tell new people that little secret whenever i can like you're in control just don't let the top know that you know you're in control sexier if you let them feel like they're in control but you always get to say no and like i yeah we we forget that especially feminine people who don't get to say no a lot well and i think also just because we have all of these like cultural narratives especially if we're talking about kind of like the 50 shades of gray phenomenon of like it's sexy right like i'm in quotes it's sexy when the top pushes you or questions your boundaries or asks more of you than you were willing to give right we kind of like as a culture we try to romanticize that manipulation and coercion oh yeah so that i think a lot of people see that as normal and as part of the game but that's really not okay and that's really not the way that it 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 is supposed to be like it's it's unless you specifically negotiate a manipulation and coercion scene, your boundaries are always supposed to be respected and your no's mean something. Absolutely. And that's what has been so frustrating about people learning about kink from 50 shades of gray is no, the like person who is stalking you and borderline raping you, that is not sexy. You can do so much better. You can be with someone who does the things that you want to do and not tries to manipulate you into this weird crap. One of the things that is like so sexy about your stories is the times when you did have experiences that were super mutual and where the person that you were playing with really did respect um, who you were as a person and what you wanted. And then the like delicious, enormously like just kinky stuff that came out of those mutual scenes was so friggin' hot. Like the sex that you had and the ways you got tied up and like pushed and the way that you two kind of created this like ridiculously sexy scene, I think is just like, it just reinforces that like when we both show up and we both really want it and we've kind of created this framework that we're going to play within, like it can be so freaking sexy. Oh yeah. Like once you understand consent and everybody showing up for the scene with the same expectations, there's no way to go back to the, the creepy I don't even know what his name is in Fifty Shades of Grey that are like coercing you into things and telling you what you're going to like. Like once you've had that really juicy, delicious, consensual, kinky sex, you can't go back. And I wish more people could have that without having to go through all of the creepy stuff first. So because we're already talking about consent and consent is a big part of the work that I do and we talk about it constantly on the show and And I know it's something that you teach and that you've written about extensively. Um, Let's talk about kind of the impetus for why you wrote the book. Like there was something that happened to you that then made you want to kind of like share your stories and actually write all of these things out. Yeah. And even for people who haven't read the book, it's not a spoiler because it's in the description on the back of the book. Yeah. Uh, so there was a, a really bad non-consensual thing that happened to me with a uh, community leader here in Portland, and I had a lot of shame surrounding that, and the only way that I could find my way out of that non-consensual badness that had happened was 
I wanted to sit down and remind myself of all of the happy rope times that I'd had. So I wrote this book in 30 days. I sat down and wrote the 30 stories of the times that I'd been tied up up to that point. And that was super healing and freeing for me. Like there was one really bad time, but he doesn't get to control all of the, the good rope and the good sex that I had. And, uh, so that was where it came from, and I definitely wanted to share that to let people know, once again, like if something non-consensual has happened to them, that they aren't alone, and that they can speak up if they feel like they can. Listeners have heard me talk about my experiences, and they know that I was raped, and I'm, I don't know that I've ever mentioned that it was with a community leader in Portland, too, but... Uh, you know, they've heard my story. And I think like one of the wonderful things about people sharing their story and about you creating this book is like, we can experience trauma and it can change us in fundamental ways, but it doesn't mean it's like the end of the story if we don't want it to be. So like you've gone on and had these beautiful experiences since that violation happened and there's more to the book and there's more to what's happened to you since then. And like, you still have these delicious experiences and these things you look forward to and all these ways you experience your body, like, and this thing happened. And so like, I, I want people who have been raped or who have been sexually assaulted or have been molested to know, like, it is part of your story, but it doesn't have to be the end or the whole story if you don't want it to be. And like, I think you articulated that so beautifully in the way that you shared your stories and what came after. Yeah, I'm so glad that you talk about consent and about sexy times uh, following rape and assault. Like that, I love that people are out there doing that and that you were definitely one of the people I love listening to your podcast when you are trying to empower people to have sexuality after bad things have happened. Cause it's definitely not the end. There's like this narrative in our culture of like, you're broken or you can't do anything because you're traumatized after a bad thing has happened to you. But I feel like that's just a, a it's a, a story that happened to us. It's not the whole story. And I wanted to tell all of the, the good stories and the bad story to let people know that there is life after a consent violation and, uh, yeah, it made me get a lot more serious about consent and negotiation. And so I'm, I don't want to say that I'm grateful that I got raped. That's not what I'm trying to get at, but, uh, it definitely opened my eyes and made me get a lot more serious about, uh, doing kink the right way and negotiating and making sure, absolutely sure that this is never going to happen to me again. So, yeah. And I think like for me, um, and I'd love to hear if this is true for you. Like for me, it not only kind of made me get so clear about the importance of boundaries and communication and like being respected as a human being, but it also made me ridiculously passionate about getting that message out to other people so that it wouldn't happen to them or so that if it did happen to them, they would know they weren't alone, like kind of using that pain as a way to start reaching out to others and to kind of um, educate and to amplify like these super important messages that so many of us just don't get until it's too late. Right. And we're super uh, privileged to be able to feel like we can talk about our experience. Like, oh, I feel like a lot of people just don't have the headspace or the sort of life 
where they can talk about it. And I am so grateful to be able to talk about consent violations. And I don't want people to think that if they've been raped or abused, they're doing something wrong by not talking about it. But I want to, I, I like you have been like super motivated by it. And I want to make sure that it never happens to anybody that I know ever again. And I work as hard as I can. So it's been motivating in that way. Like I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but this is what I've taken away from having my consent violated is I want to be out there fighting and telling people about consent and making sure everyone is as empowered as I am now. So they don't have to go through these situations. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that is so beautiful is in you sharing your story. You mentioned in in the epilogue that so many other people came forward and said, oh, my God, me too. Or um, that really sucks. He did that to somebody that I know. And and also just being very visible of like, I'm sexy. I'm into rope. I'm here. This thing happened. No, I'm not going to shut up about it. And guess what? Like, I still can be a part of this community and I'm still going to have amazing sexual experiences and I'm still going to connect with other people and hold space for other people's stories. And it's kind of like this beautiful um, space of just like showing up and, and being open about it. Cause you're right. There's so many of us um, who have survived something like this that can't be out and vocal and share and kind of be relentlessly, um, you know, open about what happened and just kind of reminding people like, no, this happened and it happens and it's going to keep happening unless we all level up. And so like, I love that you've kind of become this beacon of permission for others to also say, Hey, that happened to me too. Yeah. And it's not a a fun job to have (laughs) to be out and talking about uh, rape when I'm at a play party, like people will see me and there'll definitely be times when I'll have just got done with the scene and someone will be like, can I talk to you about this thing? Is it this person who did it to you? And it'll definitely take me out of the happy headspace, but it's such, (laughs) such important work that I don't even mind being out and having to be the person that people know that they can come to. And it's been pretty traumatic in the scene here. Like it took me about five years after I outed the guy who raped me for the rope scene to be into me again. Like I've just been welcomed back into the scene. Like even people who believe in consent are afraid of me because they, there's this uh, idea that if you play with Emily, you, she might out you. And I'm like, I'm not going to out you as a rapist unless you are a rapist. So, you know, Mm -hmm. there, there are things that come with being out and it's not always fun, but it is so important. And I will keep doing it because Portland, unfortunately, has a bit of a consent problem. And I'm sorry to hear that it got all the way to you. Yeah. Well, and I like, I want everyone to hear this too of, of unfortunately, because of the way our communities are currently structured. Um, and this, I know this happened in Baltimore, this happened in Chicago, you know, that when it becomes public knowledge that someone in the community, especially an organizer or a leader has violated someone's consent. Um, The community kind of doesn't know what to do. And so the victims are the ones that end up not being able to show up 
to spaces or to parties. They're either uninvited or it's just kind of like, well, we're not going to ask this problematic person not to come. So then the folks who have been victimized by him can't come because they don't want to be in the same space. And, you know, it's kind of this like really fucked up dynamic that happens, I think, in not only kink communities, but like poly communities and all sorts of communities. And so like to just kind of name this is not okay. <clears throat> and when we are organizers, educators, leaders, we need to be centering the folks who have um, come forward and do what we can, like a true community centers the victim and centers the folks who have suffered the abuse and asks like, how can we show up for you? Even if that's really uncomfortable, um, it's just like, it's ridiculously unfortunate that, you know, you got ostracized for five years and you're now just finding your way back in when all you did was say, this really shitty thing happened to me and it's not okay. Yeah, and I'm not the only one that's had this experience, and it's really upsetting, and I don't think that uh, the community means to do what they're doing. Like, I don't think they mean to ostracize the victims. I think that they just want to hold on so hard to these people who are group leaders, and it's really hard to hear that your friend or somebody who has taught you classes or you've learned things from can be super nice and charming to you but also in their spare time they've assaulted someone like we want rapists to be monsters like to be one-dimensional and that's all that they are yeah. it's hard for people to understand that you can be two things and so i don't think people are doing it on purpose and that's the saddest part like we don't really have uh like a a way to talk about what to do when things like this happen like there aren't like there isn't a book or a pamphlet written about like what to do in your community when someone is outed as a rapist. Like we don't have the steps. Okay. I don't think anybody knows what to do. So that would be a, a really important thing if, if someone has the, the magic steps down for how <laughs> not to shun victims, but uh, let people know that it's going to be okay when someone outs a rapist. I don't know what those steps are. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, like I've, I've talked to so many people who do like transformative justice and who work with trauma folks. And, and I think what I just keep coming up against is like, we know what not to do and we kind of have some ideas around ways we can do better, but we don't actually have the answers yet. And I hope that more communities are willing to go into that super awkward space of like, here's what we don't want to do. We're not quite sure what to do, but we're going to do our best. And I think most communities don't want to be in that very ambiguous space. And so they just know, they just do what's comfortable or easy and keeps people coming to events. Um, and I think the only way we're going to actually find, like these are the ways that we do best by our community. It's going to be for some communities to get brave enough to say like we don't know and we're gonna have to stumble for a little while and then report back and say here's what didn't work here's all the mistakes we made here's how we actually moved forward and kind of have that repeated a few times it's complicated work it is and i think we're getting closer to finding answers like there's forums on fetlife for like talking about consent violations and people that are in there moderating discussions between somebody 
who's had their consent violated and the violator and trying to find a middle ground and talk about it. So I feel like we're getting closer. We're not there yet. Yeah. So I'm wondering for people who are listening and they're curious about rope, but they've never actually tried it, or maybe they've just dabbled. What are some things like, I know you're teaching classes now. So for anybody who's in the Portland area, if you want some private rope lessons, you know now that Emily does that. So um, I'll teach you how to tie your lever up. It'll be fun. There you go. <laughs> like you don't even have to want to be like fully part of the kink community. Just learn some like fun little rope yeah, tricks. You can just and, like, do it in you your go. bedroom. You don't have to be an extrovert. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what are some things that you want more people to know about rope, especially when they're kind of in the newbie stage? Uh, what I want everybody to know is that it's super easy. Like you see all of these pictures of people tied up in this super complicated shibari stuff and they're tied to a tree and tied upside down and there's candle wax. And that's certainly fun. I've done a lot of that and I enjoy it, but that's not the only kind of rope. Like you just need like four pieces of rope that you bought from Home Depot and you need to know some safety stuff because rope is dangerous. You can hurt people very easily and very quickly with rope. So I don't want to make it seem like there's not any danger. I just want you to know that you can go buy some cheap rope from Home Depot and learn one knot, the knot that you probably already know to tie your shoes, and you can have all of this fun. That's what I try to teach people, that it doesn't have to be complicated and you don't have to be intimidated. Yeah, there's, <laughs> I remember, oh God, I don't know, it was probably like two years ago now, Alex, my husband and I were sitting around talking about sexy stuff and he has lots of experience with rope. And, uh, I have, I have very little experience with doing it. I've been on the receiving end quite a bit, but, uh, you know, I can maybe just like, you know, roll you up in it and kind of call it a day. And I remember he asked me if I would be willing to do a chest harness on him and then for us to have sexy times with him in the chest harness. And in that moment, I was so flooded with shame that I didn't know how to do it and that I would probably fuck it up that I just kind of like was like, no, uh, uh, no. And I like changed the subject. And that was such an amazing moment for me to like look back on and see like all of us, even when we're experts can have shame responses or be embarrassed by things we don't know how to do and, and want to make our lover feel impressed by us. But like, I love that your core message is it's not super complicated and you can actually do lots of really, really, really sexy things without knowing all of these very complicated techniques and designs and things like that. Cause I, I want more people to know that of like, even if you just want to feel rope on your skin, you know, like you're allowed to just wrap yourself up in it or wrap someone else up in it and just like keep safety in mind and know a few basics, but like you can start there and end there if you want. I love that. Yeah. It's so easy. And a, a lot of people who really enjoy rope, uh, just wrapping them up in like really messy rope bundles or just putting the rope on their skin and like dragging it across their skin. A lot of times that's enough for a person who's really, really into rope. Like you don't have to do this big complicated thing. Like just learn how to tie a rope cuff and learn where the nerves are in the arm and in the neck and don't ever put rope there. And you're pretty much good. You don't have to learn how to tie someone upside down to a tree. So you had an opportunity to try so many yummy things from 
like being vacuum packed in a latex bed to being suspended over a waterfall and to be a part of all these different photo projects. And I'm wondering like for you, what are some of the yummiest things that you've had an opportunity to experience and to, or to try in all of your adventures? Hmm. There's been so many, it's hard to pick one. <laughs> what a great problem to have. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a boring answer, but like all of those big exciting things aren't really that sexy. They're like fun to experiment with, but like I don't really get off on them. So the most rewarding thing has been like finding a partner that wants to combine sex and rope and like have really consensual hot sex alone in our bedroom, like like boring committed people. Like that's been the most rewarding thing, like cuz after reading my book, you will know that I spent a long, long time not having anybody to be my regular rope partner. And now that I've found one, I know how sexy that is. I love that. I love that, like, and, and honestly, that, that would kind of be my answer to <laughs> Just like, you know, for all the things I've seen and the things I've learned and the places I've been and tried, like, for me, sometimes the hottest, sexiest thing is to just be seen by someone else who wants to be seen too. And then to like create from there, you know, and to have that connection. And so like, I love your answer. It's just like, so it's so like sweet and charming and real. It seems so boring and disappointing to people who like want to think that kink is these big, exciting scenes all the time, but no, like the most satisfying ones are just like the boring stay at home, get tied to the bed things. Yeah. I don't know. Like for me, it's kind of like, Ooh, fun, exciting. Let's have all these stories to tell. But like when I really truly just want to like experience my body and have lots of pleasure and be super present in it, I think you're right that like it's kind of those quieter moments where we can like really tap into that and we can enjoy all of it. Like it doesn't have to be a hierarchy, but just to know like these things are where it feels yummy and then these things make for great stories and like let's do all of right. it. Right. And and a more extroverted person might find more enjoyment going to big sexy play parties and i still enjoy those too it's just takes a lot out of me so i don't do it as much anymore but yeah i will still go to play parties to get the the weird stories and the meet new people and have new experiences but yeah it's more satisfying just to stay at home and tie up my fella <laughs> i love that <laughs> oh we're just gonna like netflix and rope <laughs> yeah we do that a lot like we'll we'll turn on firefly and i'll be like can i uh practice a chest harness on you just sit on the floor and like watch captain tight pants and i'll just tie you up and like that's what we do on our fridays like i just practice rope <laughs> while we watch nerdy shows that's my life now oh my god that sounds like heaven actually <laughs> it is i love it for people who are like curious about getting into kink and who have kind of had these fantasies but haven't really had the courage to to express them yet what do you think are kind of some of the the best places for kinksters to actually start connecting with others and to start kind of even finding the words for the things that maybe they've been feeling for a long time but haven't yet actually shared with anyone like what do you think now considering kind of our technology and and online communities like what are your recommendations for people who are kind of really just starting to try and find the language uh fet life can be a good place to start uh then you can see that you were not the weirdest person in the world you'll start looking at people 
<laughs> profiles and being like, I didn't even know that that was a thing that people did. Oh, yeah, like, me being into rope is nothing. I'm fine. Like, that's a good place to, like, go and lurk and see people. And if you want to try to find communities, I think it's one of the best places to, like, go and join some groups and see where people are meeting in real life and kind of, like, email with some people that you think might be fun or safe and see if they're going to go to an event and like meet them there. Like I've been really spoiled by living in places where there are kink communities that are pretty open for a while. So I don't really know what the experience is in other places, but I think FetLife is a good place to start. And there's a lot of books out there too. Like you can just cruise around on Amazon or like Google, whatever your fetish is. And you can probably find someone who has a blog or a book about it. Yeah. I think that that's something that um, I find really fascinating is like, I just recently got a question from someone like, is it, is it common for people to have fetishes about like nuns and priests? And kind of my answer was, if you go to any porn site and you put in nun or priest (laughs) and like more than one video shows up, then the chances are there's lots of people who are into this, like just as a kind of a baseline. Right. I had someone else write to me and say like, I get super turned on when my girlfriend wears my hoodie and I can pull on the laces. Is that weird? (laughs) And you know, it's kind of like, no, I mean, if you can find erotic films or porn about it or erotica written about it, if people are talking about it on FetLife, like the chances are there are other people who are into no matter what it is, even something similar, you know, like it might not be the exact thing because some people have super specific um, fetishes and fantasies, but like, similar things. And so you're so right. Like just kind of start poking around the edges of the internet and you're going to find people into all sorts of wonderful things. Yeah. What is that uh, rule that if you can think about it, someone's made porn about it on the internet or like written fan fiction about it. Like it's true. You can look up anything. (laughs) It, It totally is like, God bless the internet for if nothing else showing us, like all of us have some type of like interesting, weird thought and fantasy and someone else has written about it. As long as (laughs) no one is being hurt by it. Like it's not weird. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to watch porn about nuns and priests or play with your girlfriend's hoodie, that is fine. Like you are not the weirdest person in the world. I promise. Unless you want to be the weirdest person in the world, then you are very weird and go let your freak flag fly. Exactly. <laughs> For all the adventures you've had, all the modeling you've done, all the people you've met, are there any things that are kind of still on your wish list that you haven't tried yet or anything new that's been kind of interesting you lately that you haven't yet had a chance to actually live out? Hmm. I mean... I would like to experiment more with, like, fucking machines. I've still never ridden a Sibian, and I've heard a lot about those. Mm -hmm. I see those in porn, and I go, hmm, I wonder how I could get into trouble with one of those. So I think mostly just, like, the high-tech stuff, like all of the different, like, electrical play and machines and, like, the weird high-tech stuff I see in porn. Like, that might be the only thing that I can think of that I haven't done that I'm curious about. Yeah, I'm super intrigued by fucking machines. And like, some of them these days are so elaborate and do so many different things. And of course, you know, the Sibian, it's one I've, I've talked about wanting to try many times on the show. But um, I really think that like teledildonics and technology is going to be taking us interesting places. 
uh, I'm looking forward to like, I got a vibrator that syncs with your phone app. And then like, if your partner is in a different location, they can actually operate the toy. And so like, we've experimented with that a lot, but I have a feeling that's just kind of the beginning and that over the next, you know, five, 10 years, we're going to start having all kinds of yummy machines and toys and tech that can sync across distances and we can start having all these like really yummy sexual experiences anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we've got to put all of this technology to use somehow. I actually talked with someone and helped them experiment with, uh, they were doing teledodonics for trying to get a strap on that could make you feel like you had a dick if you didn't have a dick. So for like gender queer people or women who've wanted to know what it feels like when the strap on is actually in someone. So there's someone out there working on that, and I got to work on a prototype, and that's an adventure that I don't think I have out on the internet, but yeah, I'll tell you about it here. <laughs> An exclusive, yes, they are working on teledodonics for strap-ons that you can actually feel like you have the dick. That would be amazing. That would be so freaking amazing. Oh my god, I would want to try no. it. <laughs> Even, like, with the prototype, wow. where I just had, like, this weird probe inside of me, and, like, it, it was programmed so that when different parts of the vagina got stimulated, it would uh, like go onto the strap on. Like, like I don't understand technology. I'm, I'm not into that. Like, I don't understand how computers work. Mm -hmm. I'm very basic. I understand rope, but like he was trying to explain <laughs> this whole thing to me. I was like, I don't know. Just keep touching my dick. And like, it was amazing how after <laughs> like 20 seconds of wearing it, you just get used to it and you start to understand the sensations and your mind just lets you know that you now have a dick, even though you know you don't. And so it's super fascinating. And I'm so excited to see where we go with all of this technology because I would love to have a strap on that actually felt like something. Oh my God, me too. That would be so hot. I might never stop trying to stick my strap on into things consensually if... <laughs> <laughs> If I could feel it. Well, hello, sexy partner. I know you're doing the dishes, but guess what? Guess what? I'm going to rub this on you now. <laughs> That's right. Because guess what? I can feel it. <laughs> I already do that, and I don't oh have a God. dick, so yeah. <laughs> oh, the trouble we could oh, get into. Yeah. Hopefully in a couple of years we can talk about all of the trouble we got into with our teledodonic dicks. Yes. Oh my gosh. I hope that is a future episode. <laughs> I would listen to that. <laughs> well, uh, we are almost at the end of our hour and I would love it if you would share with everyone where they can find the book and how they can stay in touch with you online and potentially get in touch if they're in the Portland area and want to get some rope lessons. Uh, my website, which I just uh, updated and made all super fancy and pretty again, is emilyerotica.com. And you can find all of the anthologies that I've been in, uh, a lot of them from Cleospress. Those are all listed there. And my book, unfortunately, is in the uh, Erotica Dungeon on Amazon, which is not as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> you can't actually search for it on Amazon. So the link for my book is also on my site, and you can buy it on Amazon or on Powell's.com. And yeah, if you want rope lessons, you can learn more about that there, too. Well, I will have links, of course, to the book and also to Emily's website at sexgetsreal.com for this episode. If you have any thoughts, questions, or stories you want to share, you can use the contact form to send those over to me. 
And Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your experiences and your book and our mutual hope of um, feeling strap-ons, because that was amazing. (laughs) I'm so glad you had me, and I love to be in here. Thanks. You're welcome. So to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to talk to you next week, and be sure to go check out all of Emily's deliciousness, including Diary of a Rope Slut. So I will talk to you soon. Bye.